0: Well, hello everyone. Finally, we are here and we'd like to thank you for all your support, for following us, for also, especially, you know, following our guest and doing your due diligence on checking all the information or all the, you know, the comments so that you yourself will have that power of discernment, okay? We just don't want you to believe anything that you hear from us or see from us, but do your own diligence because we are, at the end of the day, we are all responsible for our actions and for our decisions. So thank you. And remember, we usually come from different podcasts, so just follow us and try to support all of us because Um, again, there's just so much to do and time. And now we were really happy to have Tim Kirby and Tim, thank you very much. And, um, so for, for those of you who, for, for our audience, Tim is new to us, but I've been following Tim because I wanted to really know and get the Um, opinion and comments and experience from someone who is living in Russia but coming from America as an American. So Mm -hmm. Tim Kirby is an American-born Russian political analyst and a radio talk show host. And he has lived in Russia since 2006, writes on a wide variety of topics. So you could follow his writings in the strategic culture and also, um he does have that YouTube video. One is a about travel, which interesting, mm-hmm. and he will share that that one has some censorship for whatever reason. And of oh, yeah. course <laughs> he has that another YouTube, which is uh the Tim Kirby Russia. And uh, speaking
1: she, of censorship, uh, best to look for me now on Rumble and BitChute only.
0: Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and Telegram. And Telegram is uh, a yeah. Tim Kirby Russia hardcore, and that's kind of the same with us. Tim is like, in fact, you—I don't know—you may have a secret, but my like, my my YouTube is down for a while now, mm-hmm. and and of course, uh, uh, Roy as well. So when we started really getting active about the um, synthetic inoculation, that's when. We, we They were all like, you know, yeah. do everything to censorship and now finally take it down. So But we continue. It doesn't yeah. matter whether we're in a small platform or a big platform, as long as we could be part of really um, this movement for freedom and truth. And you've been on it for a long time. And Tim, mm-hmm. you are also an offensive line player in the Moscow Spartans <laughs> American yeah. Football Club.
1: Oh, yeah, this is a Bills uniform that I got as a present. But, yeah, I play uh, for the Moscow Spartans, and I invite all of you guys, if you can, to uh, uh, watch uh, the the live stream because on uh, November 20th, uh, the Moscow Spartans take on the uh, uh, AFC Spartak. I know very similar-sounding names uh, in the uh, Russian Super Bowl, Russia Bowl 2022. Uh, I'm going to be the English-language commentator because I'm old, and I'm just sort of a reserve player, so I won't be on the field. I'll be in the uh, box there. Uh, doing the commentating, so uh, uh, if I had get some more information about uh, how that's going to be the English language uh, transmission, I'll uh, send that over to you in the in the near future. So, yeah.
0: oh, thank you, and um, and I know you're very busy because you know, just you know being part of this movement makes everyone busy. But tell tell us to to begin what shaped your world that you ended up from America to there and then doing all of these things.
1: Oh, well, I mean, what shaped my world? Well, it's probably actually growing up uh, in a poor black neighborhood, right? So I'm actually from the hood or the ghetto or whatever people like to call it. And uh, the thing is, is so that that's home, but home was very different from a lot of the United States. And a lot of this, like wokeness, death of the family, a lot of the stuff that's really right now. Um, Uh, very frustrating for like the American middle class. Uh, That's what I got to experience as a younger person. You see what I mean? Uh, Unfortunately, black Americans were subjected to this uh, madness uh, first. Uh, Okay. Well, I say that in a weird way. It's uh, unfortunate that anyone was was subjected to this madness at all. But so I was kind of uh, got to see this uh, on the forefront of what a society sort of looks like with uh, a lot of welfare, not a lot of uh, parents being home uh, with uh, people sort of being, uh, you know, uh, broken and propagandized into, uh, improper gender roles. And, uh, I got, uh, slapped in the face with all that. And you know, what? It's kind of like, yeah, that was kind of one of the major things that, uh, made me uh, leave. Cause I could sort of see where the, uh, the, the future of a lot of things are going and the economy also looks different. You know, if you're in this, uh, white picket fence, uh, middle-class sort of, I don't know, utopia, that looks like a Hollywood movie set. You probably don't see a lot of the, um, problems of deindustrialization like you do when you live in a black community and you can literally see okay what happened when they started to close all the factories look what happened to black america and they continue to close everything and ship it off to china who's next <laughs> you know you kind of uh are there and you're like okay uh it looks like everybody's neck uh the the neck of the average working class man you know guys like my father and his buddies you know they're just next on the chopping block. You know what I mean? Uh, not that, you know, it's not that they're different. Uh, so I kind of, I guess from this weird perspective of being raised in African America, uh, I guess that's the thing that probably gave me this um, different interpretation of things than uh, a lot of other people would have if they came from, again, you know, white picket fence, middle-class America. It's very hard. Also, uh, you don't get a lot of like jingoistic, uh, as in they call it in Russian, hooray uh, patriotism uh, from a black neighborhood you don't you know you don't hear much of this like remember uh some of my formative years that was like in the lead up to like the iraq war and all that and you know you don't hear uh any black guy talking about we got to nuke them arabs before they nuke us weapons of mass destruction nobody 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 believed any of that it was all bs so uh also there's definitely a much more Cynical uh, overall worldview about uh, politics and America's role in the world and so on and so forth. I, I got a big dose of that from uh, my youth.
0: I see. So, just like me, when I was growing up, it was the time of martial law in the Philippines and so mm-hmm. the Cold War as well. So, these are the, the, the current events that shape my world as of now. Now, um, but how did you choose to live in Russia? And how is it for you? Because It would be interesting to know because you're right there.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is, is because, uh, again, and also like going back to this history, uh, being from a black neighborhood uh, and maybe criticizing it, you might hear that makes me sound like I'm some kind of racist, but it's not because that's home. That's the environment I was grown in. The problem is I don't look like everyone else. (laughs) You see what I mean? And uh, after you go into the hundredth restaurant where everyone sort of sees you walk in, like, what are you doing here? You know that kind of stuff gets real old uh, really quickly, and so. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I've always found the again the white picket fence, like clean, middle class homeowners association, gated community, everyone smiles all the time, white America, to be something alien and bizarre. Okay, so I kind of had this identity a cri- uh, you know crisis of identity. Uh, I can't live in african america because i'm the enemy all right by the way i look and living in white america is kind of um difficult because it is in contrast to everything that i was brought up to view the world and sort of believe it's very much kind of like uh i don't know it's just it just doesn't work don't fit square peg round hole as they say so anyways uh there was a third option go back to the motherland look at my ethnicity and despite the fact that i have a Wonderful Anglo-Saxon uh, sounding uh, first and last name. I am not Anglo-Saxon. I'm 100% Slavic. All my ancestors came from Eastern Europe. Uh, and for the most part, about the sort of Russian Revolution, World War One, interwar, early interwar period, they all left. And at some point in time, they were all on the territory of the Russian Empire. Uh, When I was a teenager, I went to visit my Polish relatives who are probably not super happy with me right now. Uh, But, uh, you know, I love them still no matter what, uh, regardless of politics. They're amazing people. And I went to see them when I think I was like 16 and I went there for um, Christmas. Uh, And uh, I was amazed that I could get on a plane and I could go to a completely different reality where... Mm. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, uh, my social status is different, the way things operate are different. Uh, men are more masculine, women are more feminine. Uh, you're like, okay, there's something going on in this Poland place there's something here working, something's working, and it's like, yeah, people there are kind of poor, but their lives seem better. And uh, what happened in the, the long run is unfortunately I didn't have the opportunity to find a nice sort of parachute to go to Poland. Maybe if I did, uh, my life would be different. I wanted to be a Peace Corps volunteer in Poland, but the Peace Corps offered me Kazakhstan. And so I served for two years in the U.S. Peace Corps in Kazakhstan, where they speak Russian primarily, uh, no matter how much the State Department tells you otherwise. And uh, that's where I learned to speak Russian, and that kind of closed the door on Poland, but certainly opened the door uh, to uh, Russia.
0: Well, since you mentioned about the Peace Corps, usually when I hear about the Peace Corps, Correct me if I'm wrong, because sure. we, we we have Peace Corps friends also in the Philippines. But on the other hand, we also have heard that CIA has been using the Peace Corps organization to plant their people. So although mm-hmm. I had close Peace Corps friends, but sometimes we start with being cautious with them <laughs> until they, we kind of prove that, okay, he's not here to kind of like start uh, doing propaganda for us. And mm-hmm. so, and I guess, um, be, uh, how is, how was your experience with that? Did you really have?
1: Okay. Um, get, get ready for a long answer. Cause there's, there's a few different segments to this answer. Okay. So the first part is sort of the official policy. When you go through the process of uh, becoming a Peace Corps volunteer, one of the things they tell you is that absolutely no volunteers can work in the capital city of any country. Okay. It's absolutely forbidden. Can you try to guess why? Oh, I'm sorry I can't hear you.
0: Say say it again please what was your question? Uh, so uh
1: is um uh the when you become a peace corps peace corps volunteer you know eventually they send people across the country generally you're kind of by yourself after the first 3 mm-hmm. months and but no one is allowed to serve in the capital city of the given country. Why do you think that
0: is? Hmm. Le- maybe I would guess that uh because they want you to get to know more the people in the countryside and not uh, to be influenced On the city side? That is true.
1: They don't want people living in big cities because people in big cities need less help. But uh, the reason that they told us officially is because revolutions happen in the capitals of nations. So they specifically sent people far away from the capital city in order to, in theory, show the receiving side, the country that receives the volunteers, that, look, we're not going to be involved in any protests in your capital. We don't have any people stationed there, so on and so forth. At least uh, that's... Uh, the official sure. rhetoric. I can sure. say, though, one thing to the contrary, one thing to the contrary was there was one guy who got stationed right on the edge of uh, Kazakhstan. Is weird because that was at the time when they were sort of building Astana, I believe. So Astana wasn't like a thing yet, or now it's Nur Sultan, but whatever. Nur Sultan, Astana, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it was still Almaty was the real center of things. And one guy kind of got lucky and everyone was jealous. Oh, man, he got to be by the big city. We're all in the middle of nowhere. You know, I'm with sheep and cows and stuff. And this guy's partying it up. Well, the one guy later on, you know, he also was sort of rumored that he was uh, actually doing a lot of partying with some kind of rich people. But then again, when you're a foreign person in a country with no foreign people and you're a Western foreigner, you can kind of milk that. You can kind of uh, get some perks or sometimes get yourself in the door because you're different. Um, But then later, he kind of mysteriously got removed from the project. Now, a lot of people quit Peace Corps. In fact, one-third of Peace Corps volunteers don't make it. Uh, They don't have the right stuff. I guess I did. (laughs) So a lot of them quit or something goes wrong. But with this guy, I can't really believe it because he was pretty resilient. Like, he didn't seem like someone who was mentally fragile. But anyways, he mysteriously disappeared. So why was that guy an exception to the rules, who mysteriously vanishes at some point and is partying with rich people? I don't know. That's the only real thing I can tell you. Otherwise, uh, at least officially, or at least to us, uh, the masses, uh, everything that we were told was generally to have us not look like we're part of some sort of revolutionary organization. So um, I think the real thing, though, the real goal of Peace Corps is uh, good propaganda, like uh, the sort of, um, like if there's evil propaganda and good propaganda, is it evil propaganda that tries to destroy society or Based on lies or good propaganda that tries to put sort of put your best foot forward, like wearing nice clothing on a first date or something. Uh, it's kind of like the more wearing nice clothing on a first date because essentially what they do is they take all these lovely, generally middle class, upper middle class people from America, send them across the world. And the only American that you've ever met is college educated, generally from a bad, good background. They have nothing but wonderful things to say about America. I was a bit of an exception because I came from, I and one other guy came from poverty. Okay. So uh, we were the weirdos. Uh, You know, I guess he could tell people about how he had to eat rabbits to survive, apparently, at some point in his childhood. Uh, I didn't have things that bad, but we definitely had a lot of problems. Uh, So overall, they just generally got this very natural sort of um, propaganda again, uh, propaganda in a good way that came from us.
0: I see. Uh, I just wanted to share to you that in the ongoing... Especially when I was still in the Philippines, the ongoing um protest was happening a lot stronger mm. on the countryside, oh. not in the city. So oh, well,
1: that's one scary. thing I could tell you is, you know like how you know how there's this view uh, like the view from comes from Washington that mm. someone flicks a switch and all of a sudden Zelensky is the good guy we have to support him. Or someone flicks a switch, and all of a sudden, this whole uh, gay rights in a particular country matter. Someone flicks a switch, and all of a sudden, these protests in Iran, that's the real will of the people. I can tell you that uh, the overwhelming majority of Peace Corps volunteers, they have the receiver for that switch in their head. You know, they very much have these mainstream uh, CNN, uh, BBC, well, not BBC because they're Americans, Uh, CNN, Fox, Well, we watch the BBC too uh cnn fox bbc mainstream view and so in a lot of ways almost like automatons they will react that way it's kind of like i used to watch this uh youtube channel that sort of uh, fell apart because it got kicked out of china it was called adv china and there were these two guys who had put together some really interesting videos about life in china and all that but the one thing you kind of noticed in every video is they're kind of like yeah china's really great but you know the communism, the 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 CCP, all these traditions. So it's basically like, well, we like communism or we like China the way it is, but we kind of don't like any of the things that make it the way it is, you know. And so you kind of get into that. Like some people in Kazakhstan really appreciated like the more family-oriented values, but then immediately they were like, we've got to bring more liberalism and democracy here, which will destroy those family values. You know, if we live by individualism, then uh, family goes bye-bye
0: so what's your thoughts in this global hegemony that's going on and can you connect it again and again with russia and china and then because i know roy and hartmut have a lot more questions and comments and you could really help us and lead us there
1: oh well about the global hegemon well from the insider feed from within russia it's over The multipolar world has risen. The second that Russia could unilaterally take military action against the West on February 24th, 2022, is the dawn of the multipolar world. And that essentially what we're in now is this phase where it's a sort of transitional phase away from the global hegemon in the monopolar world to the multipolar world that is essentially uh, sort of gone beyond uh, the, um, what is that called with a black hole? The event horizon. We're beyond the event horizon and it's over. That's the perception from within Russia.
2: Excellent. Uh, Hi, Tim. Um, Hi there. We we mentioned about censorship at the start, Mm -hmm. and I know that you use Telegram. And going back a good bit, I realized that WhatsApp wasn't encrypted, and I always kind of thought Telegram is going to be similar. And I had a conversation this week with a good friend of mine, Mm -hmm. based uh, basically family in belarus using telegram and the police are coming to their door arresting them based on restrictions that they've got there which is basically proving that you know
1: telegram is isn't safe either i don't think there's any safe platform i uh to be honest there's a sort of different positions um again i've lived so long in in eastern europe you have to also remember too here no one cares about privacy privacy is a non-issue and so i think it's very hard coming from the west to imagine living in a society where literally no one cares about that issue because it's a very core, especially, uh, from an American standpoint, it's one of the core, um, concepts of like the bill of rights, no one here cares. Uh, and so I really have sort of just adapted to it. Of They know, they want to know, they know. And, uh, uh, again, uh, is that, is that a good thing? Well, from a Russian standpoint, that's the way it is. Uh, and from an American standpoint, that's a bad thing, a very, very bad thing, but it is the way it is. Okay. So I've looked at some of your
2: shows and it uh, was interesting ones with a guy called Russell Texas Bentley talking about yeah. the Donbass. So you might just kind of touch on that because I don't think a lot of people know
1: about this. I know you've discussed it, but our audience, yeah. perhaps if you could. About Texas. It. Well, Texas is a guy. He's an American guy from Texas. That's his uh, nickname. Um, And he went uh, to fight in the Donbass uh, in 2014. So basically, he uh, fought and survived the early campaigns. I don't know how old he is now. I think he might be in his 60s. So I think he was sort of early 50s back then. Uh, But obviously, you know, uh, uh, fatigue sets in. And I think he served the equivalent of like two tours or something. Uh, But uh, he did it with Valor. And he sort of became almost like an uh, unofficial uh, you know, representative of the Donbass because so few people there, uh, speak English, especially in a, in a, in a way that's, uh, you know, competent. And of course, uh, someone's opinion about a country is always a little bit interesting when the person comes from a different society, you know? So he expresses what's happening in the Donbass, not just in English, but, you know, in the logic of, uh, uh as an American, you know? Uh, so, uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, he's uh, kind of become a, 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 a you know, I, I guess a, a, I want to say local hero, but I think his popularity is almost national in Russia. He's really become uh, something. And I think uh, after he leaves this world, uh, I do have a feeling that there's going to be at least one or two streets and probably a statue somewhere that say Russell Texas Bentley on them. Excellent. There was
2: another thing that you touched on. It was about dirty bombs. I hadn't heard that term before when there was yeah. all this talk about nuclear war at the moment.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, the dirty bomb theory is that uh basically now this is someone who's not a physicist. So remember, this is just your uh run-of-the-mill person who reads stuff on the internet, not coming from someone who's a real are really super knowledgeable on this, but a dirty bomb is essentially a way to sort of uh, make a bomb that more or less doesn't really cause like a nuclear explosion, but causes like nuclear contamination. And it's uh, produced using the uh, like um, used up uh, parts of a nuclear reactor. But also remember in Russia, they have uh, two types of nuclear reactors. You take the garbage from one nuclear reactor, it works in the other one, and then goes back to the first. It's a fantastic process. And that's why no one in Russia is worried about the future. If you ever wonder why no one cares about the future, it's because the future is guaranteed. Uh, but anyways, unfortunately, the West doesn't have that uh, system and probably doesn't want to. But anyways, um, so it's basically taking uh, all of the uh, old um, reactor materials from uh, some of the uh, Soviet uh, era Uh, power plants in uh, the Ukraine, putting them together and trying to blow them up uh, and try to blame it on the Russians or then, uh, you know, um, again, there's a lot of theories of what they would have done. But if you guys uh, happen to notice, uh, Russia got uh, Russian intels worked fairly well this whole time and they really put down the whole case. They went to the UN, they went to their own media, foreign media, and they so uh, disrupted this plan. If it's true, if this plan was real, then they disrupted it to the point where it wasn't able to happen. Because uh, the idea was that if a dirty bomb went off, uh, people are dumb enough that you can just write nuclear bomb on the uh, front page of stuff. And that justifies any actions against the Russians that would have been necessary uh, from uh, Western leaders and all that. Kind of a false flag, kind of. Okay, cool. Yeah,
2: I, I, I've got friends both in Ukraine and in Russia. And, you know, obviously... Most most of the Ukrainians are kind of more on the Western side. But I've seen nice. a few Russians as well kind of slating Putin and what's going on. Well, what's it like on the ground there? Is it What's the kind of...
1: Not much has changed, man. Yeah. I mean, really, from the average sort of everyday lifestyle, not a whole lot has changed. I mean, um, I guess in terms of American football, we lost everyone who's American except for me. All the coaching staff is gone and all that. Um, it sort of um, forced people in society to pick what side they're on. Uh, if you're for this, you're staying. If you're against it, you left. Uh, if you're against it and you've got no money and no willpower, you're stuck here. So uh, that's kind of the way things worked out. So, and
2: because yeah. you're American, have you noticed anything kind of changes? Have, is it kind of gone back to your youth when you were in the black neighborhood? Is it? No, because you're, are I look not- like
1: everybody. No, 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 no. Uh, it, 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 it didn't change my skin tone. You know what I mean? Uh, so no. Um, I can say, well, here's here's the problem. I'm a weirdo who lives alone in the woods. Okay. So the thing is, I don't have much human interaction, really, that much. It's to a very, very, extremely bare minimum. That's that's how I roll. So if you were to compare me to your usual sort of stereotypical expat, then I'm a I'm a complete loner freak. All right, because usually most expats would come here like wanna they wanna go. I wanna meet people and I wanna talk. And it's, no, I don't want to talk. I don't want to meet anybody. So that's kind of part of my problem. But I can't say that because I look like everyone. There's no issue. Uh, when it does come up, when you're forced to talk to some taxi driver, I don't know, man. Um, maybe on like a gra- graduating scale. When I first came to Russia, ev- literally, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the time when you would meet someone you didn't know before the conversation would go like, how could you come to this awful country? America's so rich. Why didn't you stay there? No, 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 no. Essentially, it's them uh, whining and uh, prostrating themselves before the glorious white man of the West who's uh, come to uh, see them. And this uh, uh, mentality of um, inferiority complex, this inferiority complex, uh, it's definitely going down. But it's based on a 300 year history. So it's not going to leave. But the amount of people who prostrate themselves in front of me as like a uh, living God because I happen to be born in the United States has uh, dramatically declined. But they're still out there. You know, I just the other day, uh, one of the noobs uh, on the football team goes up to me. He's like, Did you know I just filed for a green card? And this is after things where, you know, I've had a friend be murdered over this and uh, people I know die. And then he goes up to me as a Russian and goes, I just filed for a green card. So I'm like, oh, okay, let's have a chit-chat about this. So uh, he could then, so then goes, okay. So is your what's, what's your work situation? Do you have a place to live? What's, what's your background? He explains that he has a job and he owns an apartment in Moscow. May I remind you that I do not own an apartment in Moscow because I simply don't have the money, even though I actually do fairly well for myself. So he has like this apartment. The equivalent, I guess, would be like, for let's see, for Europeans. He has the apartment in the city of London, not London. You got me? And he wants to throw it away. And then I ask him, okay, I'm like, okay, dude, do you understand, man, with this whole LGBT stuff, with the, what, what Russians call juvenile justice is basically that thing where in the West, how they set up all these policies where if you do a bad job parenting, they, they take your kids very easily. You know, It's like the thing where in Sweden, if you don't have enough fruit, that means you're an abusive parent and they take your kids. So I kind of mentioned that. I was like, dude, do you understand what you're dragging? Because I know he has a kid. What you're dragging your kid or kids into, dude, what the fuck are you doing, man? What are you thinking about? This is this is also the middle of the war, and you're Russian. There's It's like the, the Jews during uh, the 1930s and 40s. There were no good Jews or bad Jews to the Nazis. And this is the thing with Russians. There's still good Russians or bad Russians right now. And his answer oh man this is coming from a guy who's over 30 he's like but i want to see the world and my answer was something the effect of go fuck yourself buddy and oh i laid into him you want to see the world you pussy so yeah so we got into a real big uh, heated argument over that but there are plenty of people like that and that shows the power the power and versus of, of of hollywood the propaganda and all that versus the ineptitude of uh russia to produce any real uh substantial you know vision of the future express those ideas because there's plenty of people like that there's plenty of them like that that was just a very glowing example um you know of uh of uh, of uh, people's perception of things
2: Yeah, I've seen something similar of somebody here wanting to go to either Canada or America. And I was kind of saying to you, Nazi, opiate problems and everything. Like, you know, they're they're in heaven and they want to go to hell, basically.
1: If you've already been vaccinated seven times, go to Canada you get seven more. (laughs) You know, why not? Uh, Trust me, about people getting knocks on the doors. I know people in Canada have gotten plenty of knocks on the doors about what they do online. So, So not a good option. No, definitely not.
2: So, like, you're more underground.
1: You know what's going on. What's really happening yeah. with the war? Where's the current s- situation? You oh, know? no, no, nobody. No, anyone who might call themselves a journalist or some sort of blog, nobody knows. It's impossible to know uh, because things happen. And we see them and we kind of wonder what the logic is. And all you can really sort of do is try to piece together what happened maybe two or three or four months ago and try to understand why it happened then. Nobody knows. It's very uh, secretive. And of course, in a war, you keep your cards close to your chest so no one can see them. So we don't quite know what's happening. We do know that the Russian side is building up a lot. But, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, myself and uh, a lot of other people I know. In fact, even uh, during a speech, uh, the very, very famous uh, Russian philosopher uh, Alexander Dugan uh, even said that he didn't expect that Russia would ever launch an attack on Ukraine, that they would ever sort of have the uh, chutzpah uh, to do something like that. And uh, they did. <laughs> so uh, even some people who are very much on the inside don't really know. And just finally, before I pass you over to
2: Hartman, just curious sure. about Snowden, Edward Snowden. Is there much yeah. talk about him? Because it's oh. he's allegedly living in Russia. Oh uh, yeah, I believe
1: that that's a confirmed fact that he's here. I think recently he finally applied for citizenship, uh, which means I guess he's given up. You know, when you kind of apply for citizenship, that means I guess he's sort of, um, which is a good thing, because uh, one of the things is legal from a legal standpoint, being here is like some kind of refugee. Well, what if the government changes its mind? Uh, when it, You know what I mean? Uh, and he's been here a long time. So with the citizenship thing, when they give that, when he gets it or gets approved for it, that means they can't get rid of him. Like if the politics sway or he's, he's here forever. So that was probably a very wise move uh, on his part. In fact, I'm surprised he didn't do it earlier, um, legally speaking. Uh, But uh, is he like a real big thing? Uh, It was really big when he came here. It was a little bit big when he applied for citizenship, but overall, no, because uh, I don't even think he really speaks Russian beyond the ability to sort of like something at a restaurant. I don't think he really speaks the language. He doesn't have a media presence. He just sort of lays low. And uh, I also think he doesn't particularly like it here very much uh, from what I gather. Uh, which is fine. He didn't ask to be here, so that's that's different. It's different when these expats here just complain about this place. It's unbelievable. The whining is uh, is palpable. But thankfully, thanks to the war, they're all gone now. so no more whining. Uh, <laughs> you know uh, but uh, yeah, so Snowden isn't really a big uh, a big thing here. I think his his legacy is really in the the history of America, much more so uh, than the history of Russia.
2: Excellent. Okay, thank you very much, Tim. I pass you mm-hmm. over to Hashan.
1: sure.
3: Thank you so much to have you here on the show, Tim. And oh, uh, as I told you before the show, I also quite good connected to Russia. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I will say this uh, in a, in the near future, mm-hmm. because here Europe is, uh, in my opinion, Europe is going down and will never get up anymore.
1: Yeah.
3: And uh, for this reason, my question is. If uh, I, I have heard, if I came as German or as an American to the to, to Russia, I'm not allowed to establish um, an, a, a shop or a company. I'm not allowed to to buy land. I'm not allowed to buy a house because I'm the enemy.
1: Uh, well, yeah, you uh, This is the thing: is um, well, you are never allowed to buy land. <laughs> that, that that was never on the table. Um, but, uh, the thing is, yeah, so basically they kind of put together an unfriendly, uh, a list of unfriendly countries. And again, this list is not permanent. It's not a list set in stone. Again, it's more like a, again, the set of political switches, right? And for the most part, the uh, collective West for the most part is all part of the unfriendly list and citizens of the unfriendly list can now no longer buy apartments. So say someone comes here from Serbia, I believe, you know, Serbia is always friendly to Russia or somewhere, yes. maybe like China. So a Chinese guy and a Serbian guy are like, well, I do so much business in Moscow, but I, and I'm rich. I'm going to buy an apartment. They can't. You can't. So however, oh. if someone really wanted to, they could buy it through me and we could put together the proper legal documentation. I could buy it for you. And uh, in the future, when the laws change or when you get a a citizenship here or whatever. In fact, I've been trying to offer that business service. I kind of had one client, but then he got scared to to transfer the money. So uh, there's ways around it, as in me. Uh, But uh, yeah, there definitely is now sort of um, uh, first and second class foreigners in a legal sense. But can anyone, uh, like for example, can an American, America's sort of enemy number one, uh, get a, a tourist visa to visit Russia right now? Yes, people have done it. It is, not, it is very possible. I've seen it happen many, many times since the special military operation started. It's just very hard to, hard to fly here. And most of the land-based borders are closed. So like, you can't take a train from uh, Helsinki, Finland, to uh, St. Petersburg like you used to. The border's closed. Estonia, same thing uh, for the most part. So it's very difficult to get here. You have to fly through Serbia Turkey. or Turkey or yeah. Dubai or India or China. Uh, are ones that I do know have worked at least once again I like to about like what things you can do in terms of being a foreigner in Russia I only go on like a proven case basis so I only tell you the options that actually exist Uh, like a country I didn't mention was Syria for example can you fly from Syria to here? Probably but I don't know I don't know anyone who's done it so I can't tell you you know Um, Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, but yeah so uh, things are that's yeah that's the way things are And And what's
3: the situation concerning the credit cards? Because um, I think Eurocard visa, does they work or not? And is this a big problem for the Russians?
1: Well, basically, when uh, they were under threat in 2014 of being turned off of SWIFT, the Russian government sort of uh, put together this project they call Mir, which either means world or peace, uh, depending on how you use it. Uh, and uh, the MIR cards was to be the equivalent of basically the equivalent of SWIFT within Russia. So the day the, the war started and they switched off you know, MasterCard Visa, all my cards still work within Russia, even the MasterCards and Visas <laughs> via the yeah. MIR system. Basically, the government here forced the banks to make everything MIR compatible, and so nothing happened. But my card is useless uh, anywhere outside of Russia for the most part. Okay, you can't use
3: outside Russia, but inside Russia it works. It's yeah, sturdy. but if I had a
1: true, I don't have any, but if I had a true like mirror card where there's nothing written on it, but mirror, I could use that in certain countries like China, for example. I see.
3: Yeah, what I found out is that, for example, McDonald's and all the Western um, companies have closed their uh, in in Russia and mm. they thought they would make a very big wave but the interesting thing is there are so many who want to replace
1: them, it's already done. All the well, I would actually was... say that for the most part, not that they closed, but that they were bought out or they reformatted. Uh, so, for example, McDonald's became and Tochka, They sold it to some guy with a 15-year option to buy it back. So they sold it to a Russian billionaire. Um, things like uh, Pepsi has become Cool Cola. Uh, the, um, uh, Coca-Cola is now Dobry Cola. Dobry is a... Uh, drink brand that the was part of the Coca-Cola family of products, uh, product. Um, uh, Ikea, the factories that used to fuel Ikea, which I think a lot of Europeans actually got Ikea stuff from here. Those factories all produce exactly the same Ikea stuff. They just call it, I believe there's like a couple of different brands. There's like idea and KO and all sorts of words that sound like Ikea, but aren't Ikea. Um, and so you can still order exactly the same stuff. Uh, in fact, I ordered something after the special military operation started, like a chair, and it came with the IKEA instructions because no one cares. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yes, remember, that's that's one of the things about Russia that people don't understand is what happens if you what happens if you have a society where no one cares? Then you get Russia, uh, and so there's a lot of pluses and minuses to to that particular viewpoint. But that's one of the big ones: is that yeah, uh, I to be honest, I actually thought that things would be a lot worse. I thought that we'd survive, but the things would be tough and we'd kind of be going, we'd, we'd really be feeling the war. But it kind of all went really smoothly, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, and we
3: had uh, a friend of mine, Stanislav Ogdenov, on the show, and he said that the price for for, for petrol is um, 80 cents at the moment.
1: Uh, it's 50... Oh, no, no. Not, 92 gas is what? 48 rubles? uh 48, yeah, 48 rubles, which is... Uh,
3: yeah. around uh, 48 is around 70 cents yeah. 80 cents yes yeah so i'll something. put this way
1: the gas prices didn't change
3: at all yeah yeah and so. uh this and and the situation of the people do they do you have the feeling that they become very um that they feel angry against western people in the civilian area or do you do you see that the because i know that the russians are in general quite relaxed
1: uh, yeah, I would say no anger towards the Western people. Not uh, The people, no. Uh, to be honest, like, I think it's more of a factor of it's like uh, Russians are sad that now they can't take their vacations to Paris and Greece and Cyprus and wherever, you know. Um, Russians like their vacation. And so that's uh, definitely kind of a, a downer. Um, so no, uh, that's, uh, I, I think um, maybe... I don't know what it's like in uh, Germany. You guys are a bit different from us. But in the Anglo-Saxon world, for sure, we tend to take things, I think, more personally, uh, as it's sort of us versus them. And I think uh, Russians have a better cultural understanding that governments sometimes just do what they do. And, uh, you know, and we're kind of along for the ride. So no, I don't really um, see any problems. Well, for example, um, initially, we were going to have the Russian Super Bowl at VTB Arena. VTB is a bank in Russia that's a sanctioned bank. Did they have any problem with the championship of American football being at their stadium? No, didn't care. Yeah, you know, sure. uh, so there's no like anti Americanism, no one is attacking French fries or American football. And to be honest, like, uh, it's now that more that Hollywood can't like send uh, the, the legally the movies here to fill up the movie theaters, but people want their movies from their movie theaters. They want the crappy Marvel cinematic universe, you know? Uh, So yeah, like against the American people. No. Um, But uh, yeah. Very. Yeah. That's very interesting. And
3: um, concerning um, the situation with, let's say if we, Where do you live? In which area of of Russia do you live?
1: Well, that would be Chekhov, but basically the outside of Moscow, the outskirts.
3: So 60, 70, 80 miles away from Moscow?
1: 50 from the MCOD highway, which is the old border of Moscow, which most people consider, well, most people who weren't born in Moscow consider that to be the border of Moscow, yes. People who were born here are a lot more snooty.
3: What I would like to know is, uh, because I know that, the, let's say it this way: the Russians yeah. are more advanced in, um, as you said, mm-hmm. there is no privacy eh? in, in privacy in in Russia, so they don't. But advanced? Care.
1: Uh, no, I would say that they just are indifferent towards privacy. But yes, uh, that,
3: but the let's say the observation is much more advanced in Europe or in the U.S. Maybe I don't know. It's hard to tell, and. Um, and what I would like to know is concerning the COVID measurements. When you, when, when you, uh, when the COVID measurements were in Moscow, mm-hmm. did you, did you f- feel it really hard? Because what I understood so far, it was only in Moscow. It was never around. Uh, it was never outside of Moscow.
1: Well, Saint Petersburg got it a little bit more strict than other places. But okay, so here's the thing. Here's what it looked like. Now, uh, excuse me. I need a little drink here. Something's caught in my throat hopefully that'll move it. But um, so what did it look like? First off, uh, my life is kind of goes in between two different, we'll we'll use the American terminology here. Uh, There's, you know, regions or provinces, but in America, we call them states. Okay. So we'll call them states here to be consistent. So anyways, Moscow, the city and the Moscow region are two different states. So there's a big area around Moscow and that's a different state for the most part. So going between the two, the Moscow state for all those months and all that, all that COVID time, for the most part, just had the wear a mask in your, at your grocery store. I mean, that was kind of it. Maybe at the hospitals, things were worse. I didn't go to the hospital there. I did get an American football injury, which I had to treat in Moscow. And there was a lot of headaches and the PCR tests in order to get that done. Uh, But um, overall, like in Moscow, it was like, wear a mask in the metro. And if you don't, well, nothing would happen anyways. Um, you know, they tried to get this whole QR code thing for restaurants where in order to enter a restaurant you need the QR code. They kind of had it going for a few weeks then Putin came back from some trip and they got rid of it. I wonder why. Um, and overall what it really looked like in Moscow was we had 3 months of lockdown where you were supposed to only leave your house to like go to the store and then come back for 3 months. Um, and you were only allowed to use your car twice per week during that 3 month period. But again in the Moscow region there were no such restrictions. So for the most part, you know, I was lucky that uh, I was able to take my children out to the middle of nowhere uh, in the woods. And so there was essentially no COVID anything. Uh, And that's kind of what it looked like. Um, They also, unfortunately, closed the park uh, that uh, is by the rental apartment where my kids usually uh, spend most of their time. So the park was not an option because they didn't want people to congregate together. But again, this was a three-month period. And uh, then after that, that was kind of it. Brilliant,
3: yeah. And um, I got the information that they had For of course, they have to play the game like the WHO. They had
1: to until the special military operation opened the multipolar world because all this stuff seemed to vanish as soon as we went to war. But anyways, excuse me, yeah. I interrupted you.
3: No, no, that, that's that's yeah. right. And uh, as, they, as they played the game, they focused on Moscow because let's say 60 or 70% of the whole middle class of Russia is in Moscow and they say they want to destroy mm. the middle class mm. this was uh, this was i was well again
1: about. who's the they why well, who's the they the why, why the, the middle they, class
3: this, the middle class uh the measurements the measurements have the target to destroy the mo- the, mo- the middle class the restrictions but you had only three months restrictions this is nothing
1: yeah well, I, I mean, but but, but like uh, if if the, if the idea is to destroy the middle class to do what? To create elites and then like people who are uh, completely Let's say rich and poor. In Germany uh, well, for
3: example, in Germany uh, for example, the middle class is come it's going to be destroyed in the next 6 months.
1: I see. Well, that's definitely not the case here. I would say that uh yeah, uh, I mean Well, here, what can I tell you? Uh, Like I said, I do pretty well for myself. I don't quite know how to gauge my income on a national level, but I'm definitely on the upper half of the scale, probably closer to the top. I work a lot. Now, um, but the thing is that definitely, even before that, Russia has always been a poor country. Uh, Even doing well in Russia still means you don't have as much compared to, say, an American who's doing well. You know what I mean? Especially when you put things into dollars and euros uh everyone's salary kind of looks like a pittance here which was one of the reasons why russian celebrities are always jealous of western celebrities but besides the cost of food which went up by like 30 percent uh you know having children that's brutal when you're like a single guy that's really easy to deal with you know eat less or just deal with it but with kids that's that's tough they gotta eat uh but besides that i mean things didn't really change i mean all the people i know who are working the job before are working the same job you know Uh, I think a lot of people survived COVID pretty well. I I guess the the group of people who really suffered, uh, probably the most, were the restaurant owners because they weren't only hit with these COVID restrictions. The fear of COVID, you know, of uh, people being scared into thinking, you know, maybe we should uh, just uh, order in or maybe we should cook for ourselves, you know. Uh, So there was sort of that factor. People were scared, and then with the QR codes, because that was sort of one thing about maybe privacy or about personal freedom, where Russians really put their foot down. Like, with this whole QR code code thing, Russians were just like, no. (laughs) This, no, because, uh, oh, because it's not about, it's about, because it was very reminiscent of the thing about the yellow uh, star of David and the Jews and, like, Mark of the Devil stuff. So that's why the Russians didn't like it. It wasn't so much personal freedom. It's like, how dare you put the mark onto people? Uh, That's a no-no. And so the people were extremely resistant to that. Um, but yeah if you're a restaurant owner you've probably you're probably <laughs> you've probably lost your restaurant although I don't know I still see a lot of them around here but uh yeah times are definitely tough for 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 service industry people but of uh, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people I know they're kind of still go, getting by I mean you don't again if you come to rush you don't see homeless people anywhere really so somehow somehow some way people are surviving I guess a lot of the poorer people are Eating mac macaroni and hot dogs, so I don't know. Uh, macaroni and hot dogs are the poor people food in Russia.
3: I see. Yeah, no, it's yeah. Uh, if you, for example, if you uh, compare it now with uh, Los Angeles, or let's say not Los Angeles, but it was California itself. No. Yeah. Uh, if you see the pictures it's unbelievable well even Um,
1: dude with me dude i'm a a child of the 90s from cleveland there were plenty of of those uh, again that's why i was in like the first wave of this there were like that stuff in california which is like oh my god how can this happen so many poor people uh 1990s cleveland wake the f up (laughs) you know it was there it was it was in the rust belt baby we had this and also one time i actually got to go to washington dc as part of this like a youth leadership of the future program. And boy, there were a lot of homeless people in Washington, D.C. in the 90s, a lot. So um, again, I think maybe this problem, it existed in America, but now it's sort of exploded. And it's happening in California where the people who matter live. Uh, But anyways, uh, that's a bit of a side issue. But here, yeah, you definitely see that, uh, again, Russia's weird because it's like, is Russia people always ask the question, is Russia a rich country or a poor country? And it's kind of hard to say. You're like, okay, there's no homeless people. But then if you look at people's salaries, they're a pittance, and you wonder how they survive, and yet they do. Probably the gray economy. And and when I
3: was in 2017 in Moscow, I got the impression that everyone, it sounds weird, but when I saw people working in the street, they were proud to have the job. And and it was for me like looking in Germany, like Cologne, 50 years back. Because the people have a lot of values, more than in the Western in the Western world. Oh. The classical values, family values. Well,
1: well, I don't know about that, man. You know, the people are cleaning up in the street. Well, they're mostly migrant workers. So in a lot of ways, I guess in some ways they're kind of happy to have the job, because otherwise they might be in some real deep trouble. I mean, you know, uh, if people can sort of scrape by when Russia's having a tough time, well, imagine like if you're in rural Uzbekistan or rural Tajikistan, what do you do? So. A lot of these people, again, it's migrant workers, and they, they do make a pittance, but at the same time, because uh, Russia does not have much of a, a work ethic, they don't really have to work particularly hard. They just kind of have to show up. So uh, to be honest, okay. if I had to work at, say, if I had the choice of working as a, the street cleaning guy or work at McDonald's, I'd be the street cleaning guy all day long, because at McDonald's, you actually have to work. The street cleaners, they kind of eh, sweep some stuff, chit chat, probably drink, um, <laughs> you know, uh there's there's ways you can make it fun mcDonald's is here is a nightmare because it's it's like the only job in russia where you really have to work and you still get paid nothing so okay <laughs> or I should okay. say excuse me kusna itochka is now uh the the place the that worst job officially it, every now the uh logo is green it's a it's a new day okay
3: no so, uh thank you so much I pass it to Grace. Sure. It was a pleasure talking to you thanks a, a
1: pleasure talking to you too <laughs>
0: hey Tim yeah. since uh, it seems like from the picture of what you were describing of that um you know that opportunity to buy a property and then for the mark like making that q r code, am I getting the impression that rush is like Russian Russia for Russians first, kind of like that um because sometimes like we know like in New York City. We, we, have, we know that uh, foreigners of like Chinese or other from who, can, who have that money can buy property. And so eventually yeah. a whole city may not be really um, owned by, or a lot of it would not be owned by Americans. But yet mm-hmm. in Russia, it seems like the government is protecting their property because I think that there's a power of among the, the people when they own the land.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, I can tell you, I've spoken to some pretty rich and influential people who even have seen that, and they understand that one of the good things about America was during the 1950s when every American, you know, started to own their own home. And they really felt like they sort of owned, you know, a a share in the big company that is America. That was definitely a good thing for the population. It was a good thing for sort of patriotism. And again, with the rise of COVID, uh, for good or bad, the price of houses as opposed to apartments really caught up. Because in the past, apartments used to dominate. Everyone wanted apartments because you can be lazy. Remember, Russians like laziness. You live in an apartment, you don't do anything. But ever since COVID and this people, some people, you know, like in Moscow are trapped in their apartment for three months with their kids. They're like, no. So the cost of actual houses has gone up and interest in owning houses has vastly, vastly increased in Russia and is sort of the new trend. So we're getting a lot more houses. But now what did you say about Russia being sort of protectionist about uh, foreign people and all that? Well, it's sort of on a scale. I can tell you that I have a good friend from Cleveland who left Cleveland who has who spent many years in Hungary uh trying to convince the Hungarian government that he's an ethnic Hungarian? Because in order to have Hungarian citizenship, you have to prove that you're ethnically Hungarian. That is something that has never been in Russia. In Russia, you just have sort of have to be, for the most part, uh married to a Russian citizen, which is still kind of tough. It's a still pretty uh substantial barrier. And there's some other tricky ways to get in here. We could talk about that but it's very difficult. And that's one of the reasons why I started this American Villages Project. Where we're going to create a village for all uh, native speakers of English who are either Orthodox Christians or at least considering converting. Uh, so that way we can also get like a 100 or 200 or 300 or whatever uh, amount of uh, spots in the immigration quota. Because if you don't have a spot in the immigration quota, you don't get in. So uh, that's part of it. So first off, if we look at Russia about protectionism, right? it has always been difficult to immigrate here. Like I mentioned about how there's a tiny immigration quota for each Russian state it gets filled up immediately. And then after that, you basically have to be married to a Russian in order to get in. It is very difficult to immigrate here. There's no like simple solution. The process is a nightmare. That's why immigration lawyers make good money here because without their help, it is just a nightmare. Um, And uh, foreigners have never been able to say, Oh, buy farmland. There's a very famous uh, sort of uh, blogger guy. His name is Justice Walker. Justice spelled J U S T U S, not like the word justice, like uh, justice and order. Uh, that guy, he's out in Siberia, and I have to say, uh, he his farm I forget how big it is, but it's over like a hundred hectares. And he actually had, a, I guess, a very close Russian friend. You know, he gave the Russian friend the money, and that guy bought it. And when Justice got Russian citizenship, his friend transferred the land over to him. That's a good friend. That is a very loyal friend because boy, he could have ran away with uh, <laughs> enough land uh, to be like a small country. So um, even back in the past, it's always been difficult for foreigners to buy stuff. And here's something that I, I want to tell you based on Russian experience. If you do not have citizenship in a particular country and you buy an apartment or land there, you don't really own it. Cause look what happened to the Russians who all had these nice European apartments and villas and country homes as soon as there was a military problem, gone. If you do not have citizenship in a particular country, you don't really own anything there. And that's why I tell Russians is they bought all these Bulgarian apartments. It only costs like, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's only $40,000 for an apartment near the sea in uh, Bulgaria. Let's buy one. They're all gone. So about Russia, do uh, <laughs> is uh, if you're going to buy something here, you've got to make the moves to, to kind of be here. Uh, you know, so it's it's not just a unique Russian phenomenon that they're protectionist about this. Uh, this is kind of a bit more universal. People just don't really think about it or they're too used to being brought up in a culture where me, everything's about me, service industry, me, me, me. When it comes to property and land and citizenship and all that stuff, all of a sudden there is no me.
0: That's a good advice to be a citizen if you're really investing in the property. Oh, now, yeah. You can you emphasize using the word laziness. What yeah. does that really mean? Because a lot of Americans, we work very hard, but that doesn't mean that everyone who works very hard gets by. Sometimes it's you, people can work very hard and still have a difficulty getting by. Now maybe, well, could it be, before you answer, could it be that they just don't have to work too hard because as you said, they're okay
1: maybe um uh, russians one of their number one stereotypes about themselves is that they're lazy okay so this is russians thinking about russians themselves and i always kind of i can see that and i do see a lot of laziness in russia but on the other hand when you travel around russia you see all these really nice people who do like gardening and all these like dachas and houses and you see all across the country so many people have put extensions on their homes because you know, you can do it easily here. You can do it yourself without needing to pass codes or any of this other BS. And like, you know, people build their own homes and all this stuff. And you kind of wonder, and I also know people with all these hobbies, like all these guys who play play American football with three times a week, you know, after work, two hours of hard training, button heads and all this stuff and traveling across the country. And so you meet all these people and you're like, on the one hand, Russians seem really, really hardcore. But on the other side, you can really see that when it comes to work, they're lazy. And then you think about, it, you're like, Oh, they put in the, all, they put all their effort into doing things for themselves. Because everything where Russians really work hard, it's for them. <laughs> when it's for some employer, we're back in medieval times. Whatever you say, boss. All right. Oh, uh, you know, we need to get this done by today. Da, 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 da. I, I've literally seen once, one time, uh, 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 like a upper manager, I used to work in the video game industry, go up to one of the designers and be like, well, we've got to get this done. You've got to get this layout ready. And he just turns around in his chair. So he has the chair as a swivel. He turns around and just goes, it'll be done when it's done. <laughs> you know? That's that's what you're working with. You know what I mean? Uh, I once saw a guy at that same company, guy we had for a while. The boss was like, dude, you've shown up drunk like six times. Like, dude, man, what are we going to do about this? Let's try to work out something. Let's, let's try to help you out. And he just showed up the next day just drunk. And then the guy was just like, all right, you're fired. The guy was like, okay. And no one cares. No one cares. That's a different thing. No one cares if they get fired, because somehow they make it by. So that's another thing. Somehow we all kind of make it by here. And people, it's uh, unbelievable how little people worry about stuff. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's the sort of the laziness factor. When people do stuff for themselves here in Russia, they go nuts. They put 100 million percent effort into stuff. When it's for someone else, meh. Very, very.
0: That's very interesting.
1: There's yeah.
0: uh, always good and bad in all our, in every uh, nationalities, um, values, and preferences. I guess whatever yeah. works for you, that would be good. So, Tim, mm. what else do you have any more message for us that you wanted to share? And what is that if the left and right are wrong? What if left? I got that from
1: well, you. Well, when I initially started uh, the Tim Kirby Russia thing, I kind of wanted to explore a little bit more about um, – the flaws within left and right politics and how, when you get out of that and you go in this different universe where that doesn't even exist, uh, you start to become a lot more free intellectually. And maybe some of that has come through, but um, overall I think I've kind of missed uh, my goal in creating the, the channel. I've kind of uh, missed out on that because some of the ideas I have for it, unfortunately it's kind of like, man, I don't have the time to add it. I work multiple jobs and I got kids and, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm just, it's going to take a while. But there really are answers to life behind the left-right paradigm. Because, again, from a Russian perspective, you have the Republicans and the Democrats. You So from a Russian perspective, you have liberals going against a different kind of liberal. Like I just watched this interview with Dennis Prager. That's one of these things where if I was a better editor, I kind of want to just pick it apart. Because he tells a story where, with great pride, that he knows this guy who's really religious but uh, he was asked to deliver pornography, which is against his religious beliefs. But he did it because he believes in like, uh, what was the specific word? Something about he believes in like the, 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 the idea of like free commerce or something. Or So essentially, like this kind of stuff of it's like, so essentially he has these religious beliefs that supposedly come from God. But he believes more in the ideas of like free trade and libertarianism are superior to God. So he's a liberal. He may just wear a suit and be Christian and uh be whiny about abortion, but he's the same, he's essentially the same. He believes that what matters really is the individual. And there's just sort of two flavors of that within America. You have a sort of Ron Paulish um individual who's very concerned about their economic freedom, uh, versus a Democrat, which is very concerned about the, the freedom to have other people buy stuff for them because they're a good person and they deserve it. Um, And so uh, when you look at things from the outside, uh, there's so many more options and opportunities and uh, exciting intellectual space when you go to Russia, because that uh, space of what's being discussed is so vastly bigger compared to this left-right paradigm that we've been stuck with since uh, the Enlightenment.
0: And I guess my last question, if you could share, do you still have that program when you have, you were in one of your podcasts, you were uh, inviting people who would want to be part of the collective of a property?
1: Yeah, that's it. It's called the American Villages Project. That is it. Uh, in fact, we are just about to submit. I believe I have to send the stuff tomorrow, I think, uh, to, to submit. So we sort of uh, appealed to the government, uh, put together a list of a few people who wanted to use this land to create an American village and uh, now we're at the process where the government's actually going to kind of t- like turn it into law and actually make it like an actual real legal project. They're going to kind of set that up. And we're going to build a, a community uh, to the south of Moscow in a place called Sierpukhov, 70 kilometers south of Moscow. And it's going to be a community for English speaking people, mostly Orthodox Christians, or people who are at least not against Orthodoxy. They better not be. Um, and But in the north, there is a village that revolves around the work of a man named Father Joseph Gleason. He is in the Orthodox priest of uh, American origin, the the only one, although I did meet another guy here, but he's not officially serving. So one and a half are in Russia right now. Um, And uh, but his community is more like an open homesteading community, but there's still the local government is working with foreign people to come here and sort of like rent the land before they get citizenship and set up their homestead and all that stuff. So it's pretty, uh, pretty neat, pretty cool. And uh, so hopefully that'll happen because it's eaten up more than a year of my life. And I really hope it works out. Uh, because, uh, yeah, it'll be really exciting. And people almost every day write me that they want help. You know, uh, over all these years, people have just been saying, I want to move to Russia, but I can't do it. I want to move to Russia. How can I do it? And so uh, hopefully we could create this uh, community and uh, it'll grow. And maybe we'll make a second one. Well, I should say a third one and a fourth one and a fifth one. I was just in novgorod Veliki uh, to discuss with their government the idea of creating a village for them. But that's just in the starting phase.
0: Wonderful. Fantastic. I appreciate really everything that you do. I like uh, following your uh, rogue news when you're in the rogue news. Okay, so to those. And of course, the the telegram. So anyway, when there's a problem, there's always a solution. And that's what we wanted to share in this podcast for each conversation. And I hope you take care of yourself and uh, your children may be able to Come and visit U.S. Uh, America someday, I hope.
1: And- oh, well, uh, Well, my kids have been to America a few times, but unfortunately, uh, the old man here, um, ever since they arrested my old boss, uh, who uh, used to work at a Christian TV channel here with me, he's American. Uh, ever since they arrested him and threw him in the slammer for 20 years, unfortunately, I'll probably never be able to see uh, the United States ever again, which is a real downer.
0: But you'll do your best wherever you are. From here. Yeah,
1: yeah. what can I do? From the woods.
0: (laughs) So um, we'd like to thank you again. And to our audience, please share. And Roy with Awakening Podcast and many other podcasts. (laughs) So we're not very good in asking support for ourselves. But because we really just primarily wanted to be part of this movement and to provide a platform for experts like you, Tim. But we thank come you. together feeling that we're doing something you know beautiful and different for everyone else. So thank you.
1: All right. Thank you for having me. All the best.